There's a hole in this country where its heart used to be. No glory is divided on the firing street. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, will we all be just Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, will we all be just down on main streets and they shut down our choices St. Louis radio legend, controversial, outspoken. We're going to talk a number of topics with Bob Costas. Hello, Bob. How are you today? Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Uh, we're now joined by uh, Missouri State representative from Springfield, Sarah Lampy. Coach Ken Carter. How you doing today, Coach? We're not always honored, but we're honored today to have one of the great legends of sports and certainly one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived with us, and that is the great Jerry West. His book is West by West, My Charm, Tormented Life. Jerry, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Jay Paterno, the author of Paternal Legacy, Enduring Lessons from the Life and Death of My Father. It's fall and it's football, and I'm I'm assuming you're excited, but I'm also assuming there are mixed emotions. Uh, no, I'm excited. You know, obviously I'd like to be coaching, but, you know, those things will, that'll come with, you know, in time. Cardinal President Bill DeWitt III has joined us. Bill, how are you this afternoon? Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Well, we welcome one of my favorite people in all of sports, former Cardinal General Manager and shortstop, Dal Maxfield to the show. Maxie, how are you? 
I am very good, Kevin. Real good, as a matter of fact. How about yourself? We welcome the athletic director from the University of Oklahoma and the current sitting chairman of the men's basketball committee for the NCAA tournament, Joe Castiglione, our good friend. Joe, how are you today? Excellent, Kevin. And that bumper music got me fired up, and uh, and you're at Harpo's. <laughs> Holy cow. Blues owner Tom Stillman joins us. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, and congratulations on that fantastic announcement. Thanks very much. We're really excited about it. We've wanted to get an outdoor game for quite a while, and, and uh, now we've got one. All right, we've got Norm, uh, Norm Stewart, the, the Mizzou legend, is with us here. Coach, uh, thanks for joining us. It's always great to catch up with you. How are things today with you in Virginia? Oh, we're doing great, Kevin. Nice to talk to you. And John Sunbold, one of the greats in Mizzou basketball history, uh, was featured as part of the documentary, and John joins us now. Hi, John. How are you? Kevin, I'm doing great. Uh, how about yourself? And Tim Donahue, former NBA official, who uh, joins us now. He has written book, a book about his life in the NBA. Tim Donahue joins us now. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me. We go to the uh, phone line with Dan Dira visiting with us, the Hall of Famer, and of course, uh, just ending his career at CBS, but beginning his career as the one of the voices of Michigan football again. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hello, Kevin. How are you this afternoon? You hear that song? Of course, that's one of the songs from the soundtrack of the 2001 movie Remember the Titans, and one of the subjects, the main subject of that movie, was head coach Herman Boone from T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria. And Coach Boone joins us this afternoon. Hello, Coach Boone. How are you today? Hey, Kevin. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Kevin Slayton, along with former Cincinnati Bengal guard Dave Lapham. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kevin Slayton, alongside J.C. Pearson. Gibson swings and a fly ball to deep right field. This is going to be a home run. Unbelievable. A home run for Gibson. And the Dodgers have won the game 5-4. to four. I don't believe what I just saw. Don't believe what I just saw. Is this really happening? Holy cow. And a good Thursday afternoon, St. Louis, at all points north, east, south, and west. Kevin Slate with you as we welcome you into the Monster Energy Drink, STL-Cards.com, King's Court, the sports edition. Right here on KevinSlatenShow.com. Our podcast will be up right here after the show as well as on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Anchor, and any place else that you watch find, or listen to find podcasts. Our phone lines are always open for you, 636-348-4460, 636-348-4460. As I mentioned before, we'll have a big announcement about this show coming up in the next week or so, so you want to stay tuned for that. If you're struggling with the heat out there, always make sure you're, hydrated and one way to hydrate and gets your punch back your get up and go your boost or your push that energy you need monster energy drink telling you folks i was tired this morning tired 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 i don't know why i was so tired this morning but monster energy drink did the trick and i was ready to sail right through the morning show and now i'm ready to sail through this show that's what happens when you end up with monster energy drink it is something that is not just a drink it's a lifestyle in a can. And I'm telling you, when you want that feeling of being your best or at the top of your game, you need the most badass energy drink on the planet, and that's Monster Energy Drink. Unleash the beast. Doesn't matter what flavor you like, whatever your favorite is, drink it. And you got that claw M to make sure you're reminded. 
Someone sent me a picture of a can yesterday. He had it right on his desk while he was listening to the show. It's the way to go. Our phone lines are open, as we said, 636-348-4460. The last day of the All-Star break is today. It used to be a three-day break. Like everything else, the players get to put in less effort now, and they take a four-day break for the All-Star game. Cardinals will open up again back uh, tomorrow. They'll be back playing the Washington Nationals, so that's a break for them. But it doesn't sound like they're going to do much to improve this year's chances. Moselak saying yesterday that everything they do from here on out will be for next year. I'm sure Major League Baseball doesn't like hearing things like that from teams that are out of the hunt. But nonetheless, that's where the Cardinals stand on the issue. And that's not a good place to be. I don't think if you're if you're looking at the Cardinals' first ninety games. Now, this is not the first half, and it's not mid-season, but that doesn't stop uh, the newspaper, the local newspaper in town, from putting out what they call mid-season report cards. Now, Jeff Gordon always does it for the local newspaper. He gives the Cardinal ownership a D minus. A D minus. I would give them the same grade, except I would almost make it an F for not firing Moselock. The front office is given a D minus. Now, how can you not give an F to the front office? I would like Jeff Gordon to be my professor in college. I'd be a four O student. That's an F. You got one player in the off season that was a catcher. You were desperately in need of a catcher, but also pitching. So he didn't come close. He gives Ali Mar- Marmol a D minus. Again, I would give him an F. The coaches I wouldn't even grade because who the hell knows. But those are are grades that, uh, based on the performance, are almost a compliment, right? I mean, they didn't do well at all. They're in last place. Last place deserves an F. That's how I always look at it. Bernie Miklas graded all of the players. He gave the newest addition, Wilson Contreras, a C plus. I think that's a fair grade for him. He was kind of a victim of the whining, uh, bitch-like atmosphere in the Cardinal clubhouse, thanks to Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty, among others. So coming to your new team right out of the gate, they're bitching about you. I can't imagine what it did to his psyche. But he's bounced back offensively, struggles sometimes behind the plate, but no one ever thought he was a terrible catcher. Or a great catcher. I always thought he was a decent catcher. He gives Paul Goldschmidt an A. Sorry, when you're not hitting 300, how can you get an A? I'm sorry, you just can't. Tommy Edmond only gets a D plus. Tommy Edmond has not played well. I think I would agree with that grade. I'll skip around here. Brendan Donovan gets an A. Again, you can't give an A out unless a player is hitting 300. I don't care if he's the best player on your team. And clearly, Brendan Donovan is the best all-around player on the Cardinal team. And, and I'll ask you this question. Who would you want up there in the ninth inning with a runner at second, two outs, and you just needed a base hit to get a run? For me, it would be a draw. It would be Donovan or Goldschmidt, not Arenado. I don't trust Arenado. But I do, I do trust Donovan, and I trust Goldsmith to some degree. If it was a playoff game, I probably wouldn't trust Goldsmith much. Jordan Walker gets a B-minus from Bernie Miklas. 
Paul DeYoung a B minus. Now, please, can someone stop the nonsense? Stop the nonsense right now. Paul DeYoung, a B minus. In, in college or in high school, wouldn't you be happy with a B minus if you were struggling with a class? Let's say you know it's not your best class and you're struggling with it. And when the report cards come out, you're holding your breath because you got to take it home to dear old dad and show him. And you know it's not going to be good because you know that what you've done so far hasn't been very good. So that's Paul DeYoung's position. Paul DeYoung is hitting 231. 231 with 29 runs batted in in 221 plate appearances. He's hit 12 home runs. 231, and he gets a B, B, as in boy, minus. Burleson got an F, and that's about where he should stand. But he gives Arenado a B, and I think that's probably fair, although I would probably drop it down to a C plus. Not even a B minus. I would give Arenado a C plus. His fielding has been way off. If you, if you just look at blanket numbers sometimes, you get confused. But you have to watch the games. And when you see the games and the pitches that Arenado chases when runners are in scoring position, it isn't good. I, I don't know how they track it, but I'd love to see how many RBIs he's gotten when the Cardinals were behind or tied. It isn't very many. So the Cardinals come in 14 games under 500 at the break. 90 games into the season. And I know a few years ago, the Cardinals won 17 in a row in the, in the second part of the season. That qualified them for the second wild card, and then they promptly lost to the Dodgers. So you're 14 games under 500. You go on a 14-game winning streak, and you're still just 500. Can you imagine how a 14-game winning streak would exhaust you, and then you're still just 500? So no playoffs are going to happen this year, even though they've expanded the field so dramatically, it's kind of gotten out of hand. But the Cardinals are not going to make the playoffs. They just aren't. Did you see where Barry Bonds was denied a chance to be in the Hall of Fame? Ten years on the writer's ballot, he did not get enough votes. And now he's been denied entry by the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee That was back in December, and Barry Bonds isn't happy about it. In fact, he's not happy about it at all. And here's what he had to say. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, people have to understand something, is that the fact of is that I was vindicated. I went to the court, I was in federal court, and I won my case 100%. Where is the vindication of me and my own sport? That's what bothers me. Well, what should bother you is you did steroids. You were caught with steroids. You admitted you thought it was flaxseed oil, so you claimed. You, Of course, you didn't think that. There was a schedule at Balco, the uh, clinic that you went to for your steroid injections, and on the calendar schedule, your name was listed regularly so that you were getting shots and injections regularly. 
and, and that was admitted into evidence. You're a steroid cheat, Barry Bonds. In the book about the steroid era, which centered on you, it was clear that you were pissed off about McGuire and Sosa the year they kind of brought baseball back and hit better than 60 home runs and McGuire 70. And you knew they were cheating, and it bothered you because you had never hit 50 home runs in your lifetime in one season, not once. So Bonds' ego got the better of him, even though he had put up numbers throughout his career to that point that if he continued would probably get him into the Hall of Fame. He decided he would cheat. And when he cheated, it was outrageous. I mean, the numbers were like pinball numbers. It was, it was stupid stuff. And that's never going to fly with rational people. So you can sit there and claim, well, I went to court and I was vindicated. By the way, I don't remember that. I'd have to go look that one up. But let's look at some numbers of Bonds after he started cheating. Now, keep in mind, he had never hit more than 49 home runs through the 2000 season when he was 35 years old. So when he turned 36, all of a sudden he went nuts. He hit 73 home runs with 137 RBIs, hit 328. The next year he hit 370 with 46 and 110, then 45 and 90, and he hit 341, then 362. So for a four-year period, he did steroids and put up absurd numbers. And it was all done to show that he, not McGuire, is the premier slugger in baseball. He was drawing walks at a pace never before seen in baseball. He drew 198 walks one season, 232 another season. 145, 151. I mean, he was a menacing figure. But it was steroids. And so that's why you're not in. So when you claim you want vindication from your own court or from your own sport, I don't know what you're talking about. You broke the rules. You cheated. I mean... Bonds likes to claim he was vindicated in court. He was he had a, a felony conviction of obstruction of justice overturned. That's what he had. So no jury said, Barry Bonds, you didn't do steroids. What a joke. <laughs> he was he was facing a criminal prosecution, so he wasn't vindicated. It's laughable. No one said you didn't do steroids. No one. The government was after him. And if you remember, this was when he had the head that was gigantic. So you weren't vindicated in any way, shape, or form, and you never will be. That's the way it is. But you also never get in the Hall of Fame, and you don't deserve admission into the Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll maintain that position forever. You cheated, okay? That's a sacrosanct thing. You can't cheat in order to embellish your own records. You can't cheat to win games. You just can't do it. And if you get caught, you suffer the consequences. And he's caught. 
He was a seven-time MVP, but a lot of that was steroid-related. Eight-time Gold Glove winner. He says, I'm not a criminal of any kind. I'm not anything. Yes, you are. You're a cheater. He says, in my era, there were no rules. Yes, there were. Here's what they were called, laws. There were no specific rules to baseball. But the law said you couldn't take illegal drugs, you moron. So if there's no law in baseball that says you can't murder someone, does that mean you can go out and murder someone and you get away with it? No, we don't need a law in baseball to say you can't murder someone. We have laws that say that you can't. And we have laws that say that you can't use anabolic steroids, and yet you use them. doesn't matter what baseball's rules were. If baseball had a rule saying you could use them, and there's a law that says you can't, which one do you think wins? It's this dopey kind of stupid logic that these guys use that makes me just start laughing. He says, why is the Hall of Fame punishing me? It doesn't make sense. It's the end of the road, pal. It makes perfect sense. They're punishing you because you cheated. That's not up for debate. And, of course, Stephen Smith from ESPN decides to weigh in on Bonds and acknowledges the steroids and then, of course, claims that, well, Bonds shouldn't be punished because everybody else was using it. The, the lamest excuse of them all. You know about the steroid use. You get it. You don't believe uh, what you were seeing, even though I thought he was en route to the Hall of Fame before he started using mm-hmm. the steroids. I also don't condemn him the way that a lot of people do because Mark McGuire and those boys started it as far as I'm concerned. Not literally, but figuratively speaking. You know, when they saved baseball after the cancellation of the World Series in 1994, here they come back in 1998 and they resurrected the sport with the home run chase, the single season home run chase between him and Sammy Sosa. It wasn't Barry Bonds that went on Capitol Hill and forgot how to plead the fifth. So Barry Bonds is okay that he cheated because other people cheated. Aha, I got it. That's the dumbest law. In fact, that's not even logical. There is no logic in that. But that's Stephen Smith, and Bonds is a black guy, and Stephen Smith is a racist. So that's what you have. He's going to blame the white guy, McGuire. And McGuire deserves plenty of blame. But here's the deal, Stephen Smith. McGuire's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not getting in either. Neither is Sammy Sosa. None of them are. And Bonds doesn't belong. You can't make an exception for one. Roger Clemens is not getting in. These are all guys that had it proven. David Ortiz should never get in. David Ortiz tested positive. So did Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez had great numbers, but he's not getting in. Or he shouldn't. You never know what these... Remember, you've got mental midgets that vote. These are baseball writers. Now, they did get they did put Ortiz in last year. And that's unbelievable to me. There's no way he belongs in the Hall of Fame. For several reasons. First of all, the steroids. But secondly, he was a one-trick pony. He could hit. He didn't play in the field. He was a DH. And to my way of thinking, no designated hitter should ever get into the Hall of Fame. And by designated here, I mean that was your permanent position. You might have played first base here and there, 
but you were a regular DH. And that guy should never get in. But in Ortiz's case, he shouldn't get in because he tested positive. How are you to let him in? In that respect, Bonds and McGuire and Sosa and Clemens and all of them, they, now they have a case. I just said you can't let one in because if you do, now you just held to pay. And there's no way Ortiz, does, Ortiz doesn't belong in even if he were clean. DHs just don't belong. But Bonds needs to quit his whining. That might help. Not that he ever will. He won't. But how do you not hold these people accountable? Bonds is one of them. See where Rory McIlroy said that he would retire before he would play live golf. I'm telling you, that story has not been written yet, the final chapter. They claim there's this movement and this settlement and this agreement, but no one's ever really articulated the terms of it. It's in front of the House of Representatives now. Congress is actually wasting its time on this. But but Rory says he's sick of it, and if live golf was the last place on earth to play golf, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. If Rory ever did play live golf now, he would look foolish. The Saudi Public Investment Fund and everybody else in golf is trying to get Tiger and Rory to captain a live team, team golf, team golf. It's just stupid. Golf has always been stroke play or match play. That's it. Or in the Ryder Cup, you have some games you play, best ball and that type of thing. But that's unique to the Ryder Cup. And international tournaments. And that's once every four years. Now, you probably didn't watch the ESPYs last night. I pray to God you didn't. I never do. I You couldn't pay me. It's another award show for everybody to pat each other on the back, and it's a made-up one. It's made up. Just created out of thin air. So, oh, let's, let's give some awards out. We'll call them the ESPYs so that we can promote ESPN. So LeBron James goes up there to accept the award, and here's what he said. No one's ever thought he was anything but an arrogant thug, and his arrogance was on full display again last night. I don't care how many more points I score or what I can or cannot do on the floor, the real question for me is, can I play without cheating this game? The day I can't give the game everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. Lucky for you guys, I'm going to keep playing. Because I'm so great, you need to watch me. Remember when he said that the public wants to hear his take on social events. Lucky for you guys, that day isn't tonight. If the NBA ever has a chance at regaining any kind of popularity again, which I don't believe it will, people like LeBron James have to be out of the game. Just get rid of them. But you couldn't pay me to watch the NBA. When when you have a game that had a set of rules and you just simply ignore the rules, there's no traveling call. There's no three seconds call. Just strike them from the rule book. You want to just give four strikes in baseball now and three balls? Why not? Change the rules as you go. 
Give five outs to an inning. Make the game even longer. That's tantamount to what's going on in, in basketball. You wouldn't know a foul from an assault in a basketball game. And you sure as hell don't know the rules for traveling, carrying the ball. That's another one. Three seconds. And yet they're still in, in the rule book. Most of the NBA players, the centers, couldn't play if they couldn't camp their big fat asses in the lane for well over three seconds, more like 30 seconds. And then once they got the ball, if they couldn't travel, I mean, that's really the way it is. I saw where uh, Arenado at the All-Star game talked a little bit about the Cardinals recharging And he said uh, what they have to do is play better defense. He says it can begin with him because his defense hasn't been good, and he's right, it has been terrible. But he said if there's anything I can really pinpoint, I feel like where we need serious work is our defense, and that starts with me. Just playing better defensively, and we need good outings from starters. But at the end of the day, we need to play better defense. No, at the end of the day, you need pitching, but you don't have it. So you can play all the defense you want. He is tr- he is right. Their defense is awful. But pitching is what they really need. That's where it begins and ends. And since you don't have pitching, you can play the best defense anybody's ever seen, and it's not going to make it. It's not going to make a difference. He's the only Cardinal that made the All Star team. One guy. You know who else had one guy? The Oakland A's. The Colorado Rockies. Strangely, the Cincinnati Reds. First place team. So I think when you're trying to make up 14 games to the negative, just defense isn't going to do it. Arenado told the truth about himself, though. I have to give him credit. He said what I've been saying, even though Cardinal fans want to erupt when I say it. He said, I don't feel like I've been terrible, but my numbers are really bad. If I make an error, it seems like they capitalize. Just nothing is going right. Everyone capitalized on all of our mistakes. That does happen. It feels like you're just rolling you know, a snowball downhill when that happens. But in Arenado's case, this is a guy who takes days off way too often. He doesn't come to play. And to me, as a leader on the team, that's something you have to do. You have to do it. There's no getting around it. You've got to lead by example. So when you wake up with a stiff neck, you don't skip games. If the manager is dumb enough to give you a scheduled day off in April, you don't take it. It's April. He had at least two days off in April. So did Goldsmith. Then he had a stiff neck and missed another game. How do you justify missing games when you're getting paid the kind of money you're getting paid unless you have a broken leg or a broken arm? You better have a broken bone somewhere. And in turning these teams into nothing but commercial enterprises, the Yankees have now joined the fray. The Cardinals putting Stiefel on or Stifle, whichever you say it, on their sleeves of their uniforms, the investment firm. No patch for Mike Shannon. 
The Yankees don't allow names on the back of their jerseys, but they're putting something else on now. The most iconic uniform in baseball, the pinstripes, have announced a deal with Star Insurance that's going to put the company's logo on a sleeve patch, just like the Cardinals have on theirs. Unbelievable, isn't it? Now the Yankees have Star Insurance on their sleeve patch. They still won't let teams wear or players wear their names on the back of their jerseys. They won't let long hair. They won't let beards or facial hair, mustache of any kind. But they'll allow a sponsor to cash in on the uniform. So the uniform is for sale in baseball. And that's not going to end. It's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. It's going to be expensive. I'm sure it's going to windfall for the insurance company. But if you're in New York and your name is on the sleeve of the all the Yankee players for 162 games and everybody sees it. Looks like it's going to net the Yankees about $20 million a year. That'll pay for one player. One good player. But imagine if they could put three or four of them on their p- patches. They'll make $100 million. It's going to go that way. The uniform's going to look like a blinking scoreboard in Las Vegas. Everything will have sponsors on it. The uniform shouldn't be for sale, I don't believe. It's it's one thing to put it on the outfield wall. Okay, cool. But it's another thing to put it on the uniform. I'm a traditionalist to some degree. I'm okay with the wall. Go ahead, sell the wall. Hell, for my money, you could even sell the base. Put a logo on the bases, but nobody would see it. That's why they don't want it. They already have those changing video boards behind home plate that change sponsors nonstop while you're watching the game. And now it's right there on the uniform sleeve from the Cardinals, from the Yankees. I'm not big on that stuff. Dick Vitale announced that he has uh, throat cancer. or, or I shouldn't say throat cancer. It's more of... Um, a vocal cord cancer, I guess the same thing, or close to it. But he's uh, hoping to be ready for college basketball broadcasts. He's 84 years old. He's beaten cancer before. Nothing but net. When your soybean season would come from. And he has a lot of uh, a lot of things going for him. But, man, cancer at age 84, vocal cord cancer, and you're going to use your voice? We wish him the best because I think Vital, while a lot of people think he's just a showman, he's also a very knowledgeable basketball guy, and he is a showman. But he also came along at a time when he gave energy to college basketball. That was when ESPN was just coming on the air. And he was their voice on college basketball games when they were trying to find their way. And he brought energy to the games. He brought enthusiasm. He brought passion. And I think he was good for the game. He was a great salesman for college basketball. So I wish him the best. I did games with him. He's fun to do games with. But he also loves to go into the... Back when I was doing games with him, it was just in the early years. And he would run to the newspaper stand if he had done an article with the local newspaper writer when he came to town. And he would buy 10 editions of the local newspaper to distribute with his story in it. He was an endless promoter of himself. Probably not a bad idea. It's gotten him a lot of money. 
which good for him. But I'm pulling for him. I hope he's back doing games. Hope we can hear him. Don't strain your voice, man. Especially when you're messing with that kind of stuff. U.S. women's soccer star. His videos keep popping up, and I don't know how they're getting on our air. But it's not making me happy. We uh, told you about Megan Rapinoe uh, yesterday and how she has ripped into Dave Chappelle, Martina Navratilova, and others. Sage Steele at ESPN, claiming somehow they're hurting the transgender people. Why, we don't know. She said Congress was trying to legislate away people's full humanity (laughs) and that she would accept a transgender woman replacing a biological female on the national team. Well, how about on the opponent's team? Would Would you accept it then when they kick your ass? Martina Navratilova chimed in with a one-word response. Yikes. Carpe diem, Martina Navratilova. Martina Navratilova had written an op-ed in the Times of the United Kingdom, the Times of UK. She said, in the wake of these announcements, I think the best idea would be to have biological female and biological girls categories. And then an open category. I think that works. Because the World Athletics has adopted a policy excluding transgender female athletes from women's competitions. She called it a step in the right direction. Rapino didn't like that. But Martina's right. She's 100% right. But Rapino continues to live in the dark world and act as though somehow or another this isn't happening, that men aren't crossing over. Well, they are. Whether you think they are or not, they are. I wanted to get into a discussion today because I'm in a college football mood. And I was looking around at some of the uh, top college quarterbacks that ever played for Mizzou. And we've, you know, believe it or not, there have been more than you think. Many more than you think. If you if you start going through the list, you'll be impressed. I mean, it starts, of course, with Paul Chrisman, widely considered the best of all time, though most people today, if they were voting, wouldn't vote for Paul Chrisman because they don't know who he is. But they'd vote for somebody like Chase Daniel, maybe Brad Smith, Drew Locke, Phil Bradley, Corby Jones, Blaine Gabbert. But those guys are all have all played in recent years. I go back to a guy who played in 68 and 69 by the name of Terry McMillan. Then I go back to a guy that played 74 through 76, Steve Pizarkowitz. And I look at those guys and I look at what they did on the field, the teams they beat, the upsets. Terry McMillan's case took him to the Orange Bowl. That team could have been ranked number one in the country. Probably should have been. What a career he had, a two-year career. Won the Gator Bowl against Alabama, then lost the Orange Bowl to Penn State, but only because Terry had decided he would, uh, shall we say, party a little too much the night before the game. He had gone back to his hometown. He's from Coral Gables. And so all of the, all of his friends from high school, it's a difficult thing. But there's another guy that's an unsung quarterback, and that's James Franklin. 
He was there from 2010 to 2013, but I bet you most people forget about him because he arrived on the scene just when Chase Daniel was leaving and just before Drew Locke. So he was the guy in the middle. But you had Phil Bradley back in the 70s. He was shortly after Steve Pizarkowitz. Some good quarterbacks. I mean, you can go down to the guys who won. They they didn't put up big numbers, but back in the 60s, because they weren't throwing the ball all over the joint. But talk about Gary Lane, who was there from 63 to 65. Ron Taylor. Those, those guys won. John Cherry. Upset Notre Dame, upset Nebraska. Trying to trying to bring Mizzou back to prominence after the last of the Onofrio years. And then you had a guy that most people probably won't recognize or won't remember, Jim Johnson. But if you go back and look at Jim Johnson's career at Mizzou, it wasn't bad. Pretty impressive. As I recall, he was the quarterback at a Blue Bonnet Bowl victory. That's when a bowl victory was really impressive, by the way. And it really meant something. When Terry McMillan beat Alabama in the Gator Bowl, that was huge. That was a huge accomplishment. Jim Johnson's in the... uh, University of Missouri Hall of Fame. He actually played both ways. He started at safety and a quarterback. You got to like that, right? The days of the two-way player, huh? Shohei Otani in baseball, but anybody else? I'm thinking probably not. Jim Johnson's the kind of guy you'd want those as your quarterback. Just a great player. He'd return punts if you needed him. But he didn't, uh, they didn't throw the ball all over the joint when he was there. Dan Devine recruited him out of Maywood, Illinois, and they won the Liberty Bowl, or the uh, Blue Bonnet Bowl. Fun stuff when you go back and look at some of these guys. And I do like to do that. But he won. He won games over Ohio State, thirteen. Or excuse me, Iowa State, which was a big win, thirteen to seven, ten to seven over Kansas, who was heavily favored. Kansas was one of the better players or better teams in the country back in those days. And it's tough playing both ways. Gosh, I don't know who the last player would be who did it. Who would it be? Keep in mind that the Jim Johnson took Mizzou to an 8-1-2 record in 1962. That's the last Mizzou team to have only one loss in a season. And as I mentioned, he won the bowl game, and that was only the second bowl victory in Mizzou's football history. So who would you rank in there? I mean, I go with a, with a number of guys for a number of reasons. Obviously, I like the arm of Steve Pizarkowitz and the upset wins that he orchestrated when at Mizzou. Chase Daniel, what a career he had. I mentioned James Franklin. All he did was win, and he put up some pretty darn good numbers too. Brad Smith, Phil Bradley, 
Drew Locke didn't do much winning, but he put up some good numbers. Gary Lane was a winner. Ron Taylor, there's another guy that you forget about because he was back in the pre-60s, late 50s, 59 through 61. It's a great list, and one of these days we'll kick it around uh, when we have a little more time, but it's a great list of players. And when I think of the days when you could watch, you know, you watch some of them on TV, back when those games weren't all on TV, you'd only get to see them maybe play once a year unless you went down to Columbia and watched the game, or if you watched them in a bowl game. Jim Johnson played on a, an offense in 1962 that was ranked sixth in the NCAA and a defense that was ranked ninth. Mizzou defense in the 62 season allowed 52 points the entire year. He played for the Buffalo Bills as a tight end. This guy was a tremendous athlete. Quarterback in safety at Mizzou, then a tight end, and nobody I guarantee you, almost nobody knows of him. And then he went into coaching. He was on Andy Reid's staff in Philadelphia. Pretty impressive defensive coordinator. Ten years in Philadelphia. People forget who he was. A quarterback being one of the best, most aggressive defensive coordinators in football. And he was a Mizzou quarterback in 1962. I'll guarantee if you talk about those Eagles defensive teams from 99 to 2008, And you say, that, yeah, that Jim Johnson, he was a hell of a coordinator. He was aggressive. They blitzed. And then you say he was a quarterback as well. Pretty impressive. And a two-way player. Even more impressive. They just don't come along very often. Charles Woodson's probably the last great one that, off the top of my head that I can think of. Champ Bailey at Georgia. He was another one. The last guy to do it in the NFL was probably Chuck Bednarik. He played center and middle linebacker. He also punted. Back in those days, your punter was usually a regular player. Dick Butkus played center and linebacker, but he was known as a middle linebacker for Illinois. And, of course, the Bears for all those years. Never played both ways once he got to the NFL. Bronco Nagurski, Jim Thorpe, of course, was the penultimate greatest athlete probably of of all time, maybe. I mean, if you think about him, that's a guy who did everything. And, of course, also won gold medals in the pentathlon and the decathlon. We welcome Matt to the show. Good morning, Matt. Or good afternoon, Matt. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, Mr. Slayton. How are you doing? Doing great also. Yeah, that two things that, that live gore, golf that um, I don't want to pay to watch people do a scramble. I, it's the only way I golf is <laughs> with a team. And now, granted, they may be hitting their own ball on like a traditional scramble, but it's an individual sport. I like it once a year, as you said, with the um, 
the Ryder Cup or the when the international play and or the match play. Yeah, exactly. But I don't want to see that. Yeah, that's no, it's an individual sport. Golf, golf is a game where you you unless it's the Ryder Cup, you count on yourself. And yeah, at that level, the, the Ryder Cup's a little different. I don't think they or why they think that's going to pan out. I I mean, they do these little contests every once in a while with a professional golfer and a professional baseball player or football player. They do two on two and that's interesting once in a while. I, I usually don't watch it, but I mean, a gimmick that's it's a gimmick and that's fine once a year, but yeah. for every weekend or even once a month, what I don't even know if the live plays every weekend like the PGA. I know they don't play four days. They play three days when they do play a tournament. So they've changed the entire way golf is thought of. And I don't like it. I'm a traditionalist. Golf is a very traditional game. So let's keep it the way it is. You know, they try to do the same thing in all these other sports too. Remember they had world team tennis. Well, that didn't fly. Um, It just doesn't make any sense. You're changing the rules and the way the game is played. So it's not real tennis and it's not real golf. No, not at all. And it's a, I couldn't agree with you more there. And it's, uh, hope McElroy sticks to his guns and does not fold. I mean, they're going to offer him so much. They offer you a hundred million dollars. I, I don't see him turning it down, but. Well, he's already, he's already been offered that and turned it down. True. So I, so, I, I, I think Roy McElroy is just the kind of guy that will stick to his guns. And I don't well, think, I, so. I don't think Tiger's going to be talked into it either. Uh, I don't even think he can play. He can't play a full tournament. I don't think he can either. But he could play that team stuff, and he could be a. a t- they want they want the two of them to be team owners and team captains. And uh, See, <laughs> t- Tiger, I don't think Tiger has any interest in doing that. No, he could he could go to a college and do that, or you know, or come up with his own thing. But well, he'll just and, he'll, he'll develop his son. His son's a pretty darn good player. Yeah. That's a uh, well, and that's great. Well, and they got themselves in a mess. And I got—I don't know why Congress is getting involved, unless it's because where the money's coming from, or they want to get their hands on the money, or there's some kind of uh, monopoly issue. I don't get it. But no, I agree with you. I don't know why Congress would even get involved. <laughs> All right, Matt. Good stuff. All right, sir. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. I—I <laughs> uh, I neglected to mention Roy Green as a two-way player. Remember, Roy Green played for the Big Red, and then when he went out to Arizona, he was strictly a wide receiver. But when he was here in St. Louis, he played both ways. He, in fact, intercepted a pass in a game and scored a touchdown, uh, caught a touchdown pass in the same game. So Roy Green was probably the last effective two-way player off the top of my head. Deion Sanders did it a little bit, but not enough. He wasn't a regular wide receiver like Roy Green was. And then, of course, he played defensive back. But that's kind of where that all ends. Coming up in the next hour, Dave Peacock is going to be our interview of the day as we go through the uh, King's Vault. And Dave Peacock was a former president of Anheuser-Busch. Then he ran schnooks into the ground. And then he left town. Uh, but prior to doing that, prior to leaving town, he was tapped by the powers that be in this city to try to somehow put together a stadium deal to force the Rams to stay in St. Louis. The problem was Stan Kroenke was already done. St. Louis had already breached the, the lease with the uh, Rams in the Dome. And once that lease was breached by St. Louis, materially breached, it was over. Trying to build a stadium then was, well, you're way too late to the party, folks. Not only that, the, stu- the utter stupidity of it was obvious. Kroenke 
gave St. Louis his list. Here are the improvements that need to be made to bring the Dome up to a top-tier stadium. It was going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 to $750 million. St. Louis balked and said no. Then when he said, I'm leaving, then they appoint Peacock, and Peacock's going around telling everybody they're going to build a new stadium on the riverfront, open-air stadium, for a billion dollars. So what St. Louis said was this. They said, no, we don't want to pay $700 million, but we'll pay a billion. <laughs> Only St. Louis could come up with nonsense like that. Who say, who does that? What what business says, you know, your, your asking price is too high, $700 million. Well, what if you pay us a billion? Oh, okay, we'll pay you a billion. You'll enjoy the interview because we held his feet to the fire. And, and and it just, you know, it's just simply a matter of making sure these people understand that we're not all dummies out here. That stadium didn't have a chance, was never going to be built. Stan Kroenke was never going to stay here, and that's just the way it was. So that'll be coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. But I am, um, you know, I, I love looking at lists of players like the, these Missouri quarterbacks. And you find those nuggets out of a guy like Jim Johnson. And little did I realize that that was the last Missouri team to finish with just one loss. Now, you wouldn't have a tie anymore unless it was a miracle, but you had a tie back then. And they tied twice that year. But imagine allowing 52 points in an 11-game season. That includes their bowl win. They played a 10-game season, I guess, uh, back then. But imagine that, 52 points. It's less than five a game. I don't know how they lost and tied to, but they played low-scoring games back then. But what a career he had. He also, by the way, was an assistant coach up at Notre Dame when Dan Devine was the head coach. What a career for Jim Johnson. He earned seven playoff berths while he was with the Eagles, five trips to the NFC Championship game, and one Super Bowl appearance. Pretty impressive stuff. And he earned two degrees at Mizzou. That is a decorated player. Very decorated player. Good for him. But I love going back and looking at all those quarterbacks. I saw a lot of them play. That's right. I'm a little bit older than some people. But I did see a lot of them play. I saw Steve Pizarquist play. In fact, I play golf with him. Steve can still play. He's still a great athlete. Brad Smith and Phil Bradley were very similar quarterbacks. Brad Smith had a nice little NFL career. Phil Bradley had a heck of a baseball career. I always thought Corby Jones might make it in the NFL in some way as maybe a a, a slash player, but he never did. Blaine Gabbert is still playing. He's with the Tampa Bay Bucs. He's got himself a Super Bowl ring. Two Mizzou quarterbacks have Super Bowl rings. Chase Daniel, Blaine Gabbert, both has backups. They never got off the bench. But there are so many great Missouri teams to follow and, and to sit back and say, well, that was my favorite team is very hard to do. Missouri has had a star-crossed history in football. But when you think of the people that I just mentioned, the Terry McMillan team that went to the Orange Bowl in 69, the Steve Pizarkowitz teams that upset the Giants of college football seemingly week in and week out, that 76 team that he quarterbacked that 
played eight teams that won at least eight games. Never happened again. Never happened again. Chase Daniels era. They had some exciting football played when Chase Daniels was there. The great game at Columbia when Corby Jones was the quarterback, Missouri lost it to Nebraska when the Nebraska player kicked the ball up in the air in the last minute, last few seconds actually, in the end zone, and another guy dove and caught it for a touchdown. Hit a guy's foot, went up in the air, the other guy dove for it and scored. Nebraska was ranked number one. Missouri had him beat. Had him beat. I mentioned Phil Bradley going on to the NFL. So there were some great uh, great times with those guys. As I mentioned, Gary Lane, Ron Taylor, and Jim Johnson were all close to each other. Ron Taylor first, then Jim Johnson, then Gary Lane. They all were in succession under Dan Devine. That's when Mizzou football really took a leap forward. And I say we go back to the uniforms that those guys wore, bring back tradition to the campus. None of this all-white uniform crap. That's not the color of Missouri. It's old gold and black. Let's stick with tradition down there. You know, Missouri tries to distract us now with all kinds of bull crap like that because they know they can't win any games despite scheduling the weakest schedule they can find. They still can't get a winning season. So if you're going to keep losing, at least do it traditionally, will you please? Wear some traditional garb. By the way, if you wore those old uniforms, you love to sell your merchandise, those would sell. And if you really want to win, quit letting the players make all the decisions. Now, I know it's hard to have a head coach like drink shits and tell players, recruits, hey, by the way, I'm in charge here. I make the calls when you haven't accomplished anything. That's a hard thing to do. But that's what happens when you got a coach from Appalachian State. It's really kind of stupid. But that's what they do. And that's what they'll continue to do. And it's not going to change, uh, probably, until they get rid of him. And they're not going to get rid of him anytime soon because they signed him to that extension. Dumbest thing ever. Well, we're sitting here, folks, right now in the Monster Energy Drink, stl-cars.com, King's Court, on our sports show here, noon to 2, every single day, Monday through Friday. And if you're looking for a new vehicle, whether it's a car, an SUV, or a truck, our good friends at stl-cars.com have the answer for you. It's on their website. Go to that website, stl-cars.com. Look at the cars and the SUVs and the trucks that they have there. Pick the one you want. Call 314-626-3251. 314-626-3251. Ask for Don. Tell him what you want to pay, and then he'll get it for you. It's a locally owned and operated company right in Ellisville, right off Manchester Road. And they'll take care of you. I've bought three vehicles from them. My son's bought one. Don't make it like the car buying business. Don't make it like it's going to a dentist for you where you're in constant pain, you have a headache, you want to bat your head against the wall, simply go to the website, pick the vehicle you want, call or text 314-626-3251. It's actually this easy. Ask for Don, tell him we sent you, and you've got yourself a brand new vehicle. 
They also have used vehicles too. So if you're looking for a second car, somebody, something for one of the kids to go to college, same story. I will take a quick break and we'll come right back in the Monster Energy Drink, stl-cars.com, Kings Court on kevinslaytonshow.com. Dave Peacock follows the break.
We welcome you back in. Kevin Slayton with you in the Monster Energy Drink, stl-cars.com, Kings Court on kevinslaytonshow.com. Don't forget the podcast will be available here after the show as well as Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, Anchor, and any place you listen to podcasts. You'll be able to listen to it here. And when you need that boost or that push, that extra energy boost like I needed this morning, go to Monster Energy Drink because that will take care of it for you. You'll feel like a new person. And the way they do their products and the way they promote their products, they don't, you know, a lot of companies will spend a whole bunch of money on TV ads and ad agencies and billboards, try to tell you how good their products are. But at Monster, they do it a little differently because they're not a drink. They're a lifestyle in a can. That's why they support the scene where the event is, the bands that come to town, the athletes and the fans. And they celebrate with their fans at Monster Energy Drink. They throw parties. They make the coolest events they can think of, and they turn them into a reality. That's Monster Energy Drink, the relentless pursuit of victory. Being your best and at the top of your game, that's why Monster Energy Drink is the most badass energy drink on the planet. Unleash the beast with Monster Energy Drink. Folks, a few years ago, when the Rams were close to leaving, contemplating leaving, the as per the lease, the Rams gave the city of St. Louis a list of demands to make the stadium a top-tier stadium, which per the lease they had to do, St. Louis did. And the terms included about a $700 million price tag. St. Louis immediately arrogantly thumbed its nose at Stan Kroenke and the NFL and said, nope, no dice. You're not leaving, though. Well, of course, he shortly after that announced that he was leaving, indeed, since they breached the lease. And quickly, St. Louis scurried around like rats on a sinking ship and put their city fathers together and came up with Dave Peacock as the point man to propose a brand-new stadium down on the riverfront. Open-air stadium would cost a billion dollars. As I said earlier in the show, only St. Louis could go from being asked to pay $700 million and then coming back in a counteroffer and say, no, we want to pay a billion. Either way, it wasn't going to matter. Kroenke was gone. Now, they thought they were going to keep him here. So I had Dave Peacock on my show, and uh, needless to say, the cross-examination was underway. Live from the Chuck's Boot Studios, order in the court. You're in the Pabst Blue Ribbon, Gateway Buick GMC, King's Court on 1380talkstl.com. And we welcome you back in. On this Tuesday afternoon to the Pass Blue Ribbon Gateway View at GMC Kings Court, Kevin Slayton with you on 1380 AM and TalkSTL.com. And we say hello to Dave Peacock, who is the head of the task force that the governor, Jay Nixon, put together with regard to a, the feasibility of a new stadium and perhaps keeping the Rams in St. Louis. Dave, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well also. You guys were up in New York to present to the NFL committee last week your presentation. I assume you felt pretty good about how it went. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I think for me the most encouraging thing, uh, Roger Goodell was in a KP press conference, I guess, Friday. He made some real positive comments about our plan, which, uh, yeah, I don't think he would have done had he not uh, been encouraged with what he saw. And with regard, can you can you be specific about what the presentation was about? Yeah, I mean, basically we took them through the design. So all the, you know, renderings and drawings and what I call the artwork that people have seen um, in the video. And then we also, we talked a little more detail about just the, 
the mechanics of the stadium, you know. The, uh, honestly, these guys are, are kind of into how many seats, how much leg room, how much kind of what's the ingress and egress getting in and out of it uh, as it relates to fan experience. We talked a lot about those things. And then uh, we also shared um, kind of our status on land assemblage and, and when, when we thought we could be prepared to get really everything put to bed and be able to share that with the league. And we told them, you know, our, still our target is this fall. Did any of them ask, uh, or were they inquisitive at all, about financing? Um, a little bit, but, you know, we had done so much preparation around the design because this was the first opportunity to get up in front of them, and, and they're just, you know, to be honest, getting acquainted with the project that we talked a lot about the design itself. I saw a quote attributed to you. If it's not accurate, you can certainly straighten me out, but it was in the neighborhood of $450 million that you expect from the league and from Stan Kroenke, and then you'll raise the other $450 million from a myriad of sources. Have you had conversations with Stan Kroenke about that? So not about that specifically. So when we announced our plan in January 9th, we laid that the, the, the basic construct out, which we said that the public money would be, I'm going off memory, I think it was like 380 to $400 million. The, the, the team and the league contribution is 450, another 150 million in seat licenses. And the 450 really is a byproduct of the G4 program, which is a loan program the league has um, that is $200 million. And they've put that into a number of projects. And an owner has to contribute at least 200 at a minimum uh, to get that 200 from the league. So that's what was the genesis of that 450. And, you know, as we've told people, you know, we're, we're only going to, proceed if we get that kind of commitment from a team and league and you know that 450 is a significant amount of money in the sense that it would be the most money spent on one project in the city of st louis and that's history and and, and then you've got the other you, you said 150 million you hope to get from psl owners and that leaves you about what 300 million uh, and that's close to 400 so if you're looking at a billion you look at 150 from c licenses 450 from team and league and that's 600 and then another roughly about 400. You know, our project right now, you know, as we refine costs, is anywhere between 980 and a billion. Where will that other 400 million come from? So that's going to come from, you know, we laid out a plan, at least for a scenario, that would be an extension of bonds. So the, the, the revenues that fund existing bonds at the state level, the city level, um, there's other, you know, tax credit programs that the state has, for instance, especially given the site we're on as it relates to the brownfield tax credits because we're in a pretty challenged area. Um, so that that is where, that is the, the concept. And as we've talked about the state money, and we had to testify at a hearing, we were able to show that the tax revenues at the state level, just on the Rams being here, is about $15 million a year, growing to over 30. And so that $12 million payment that would su- uh, support the bonds is less than the tax revenues generated from the team. So roughly about five hundred million or so, five hundred fifty million of public funding would be the the number you're looking at. One hundred fifty million from PSLs. Have, have you done a study, Dave, or is, is there anything to back up the idea that people are willing to fork over PSL money again? So what we don't care how many more points I score. It was completed a couple I'm, weeks ago. We're waiting to get the full results. Real the, question for I me is: focus groups Can I play without lead? cheating this game? They I can't give the game everything on the floor. Seat license they holders, um, those who've let them lapse or sold guys, them, they have not bought them. But, 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 
Well, we were kind of surprised. In fact, we had people saying that they were surprised how inexpensive they were, which frankly surprised me. It shocks um, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised. But you get, were you, you, were know, you just talk, were you just talking to millionaires in that focus group? No, no. I mean, heck, we had guys show up with face paint. It was great. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a pretty avid core fan base there, which is good. And you've got a lot of people, and we're getting a lot of feedback from people that want to see something happen. And, and, want to, and basically want to see this project get done. So we also benchmarked other projects. So, for instance, San Francisco, they have 550 million feet wide. That's, that's nowhere near what we're looking at. It's just a different market and a different economy. Um, there are also mechanisms now that you can, those ta- those uh, sea licenses can be taxed down, which helps. Yeah, and, and, when we had the sea licenses last time around. And, of course, it's one thing to say they'll do it and another thing to actually do it. And, obviously, in San Francisco and other cities, they, they were doing it for the first time. We were told by the previous group uh, that if you paid it 20 years ago, that's the last time you'll ever have to pay it. So I would imagine that that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Well, we talked to, like I said, I mean, I just have to go off the focus groups that we did. And, and like I said, we're waiting for the detailed survey data that was done online. And I, I can't go beyond what people say they're going to do. Um, uh, but basically, we were I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, I probably had the same a level of skepticism that a lot of people would have as it relates to the cost. Um, I do think the experience you have with this stadium is much different. I mean, we're talking about a, a, really a completely a different experience than what we've had with the Dome, even from day one. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I, found, I remember those Bush Stadium games outdoors were, in some respects, more exciting than kind of going into our Dome and watching the games. So I think there's a lot we can bring as it relates to amenities uh, to a new stadium that we don't have in the Dome right now. Well, certainly the Dome is a much more sterile atmosphere, although at the time the only reason that stadium got built was because of its versatility and the ability to make money off of it year-round. This will only uh, be here for eight games, two preseason games, ten games a year. Is, Is that a concern to people? No, I mean, we, we, we've uh, been able to, to model out as what other events you can bring into a facility like that. And you get a combination of, of you will bring some incremental events. I mean, we've seen what soccer, for instance, can do in this market, um, and especially when you bring kind of, uh, you know, the European leagues in um, and international soccer. And then there's other events that you can bring in there. It's not going to be, you know, 70 and 80 dates a year. It's not It's not a baseball stadium, obviously, but some of those events are very lucrative given the size of the venue. And then by moving out of the Dome, you, you do create an opportunity for that convention center to get fully utilized year-round. And, and I know a lot of people say, well, is the Dome really a hang-up in that? But you find a lot of organizations that are large that don't even want to use the convention halls next to an NFL stadium if their meetings are going to start Sunday and go through Wednesday and, and they're uncertain whether there's going to be an NFL game going on or not. Dave Peacock is our guest. He's the head of the task force, uh, hoping to bring a new stadium to St. Louis for football and then either keep a team or get another team. Dave, do you have any assurances at all from the NFL that if this project is at a point where you can stop and say, okay, we've got everything done that we need to get done. Obviously, you have said you won't have the money in the bank, but you've got everything done in terms of commitments. You say to the NFL, what are you going to do? Have they assured there will be a team here? They have not, but they uh, have their vote, and I, I think I believe they will vote at the end of this year. I mean, everything you know, the same things you've read. I've read the, the same reports as it relates to a desire to get this LA relocation worked out um, before the Super Bowl 2016. So, you know, I I believe there will be a vote before the end of the year, and you know, I just look at it from a pragmatic sense that 
you've got sort of three teams vying relocate and of the three home markets you know the only one that has progressed significantly on a, a home market stadium proposal is st louis so it puts us in a good spot so yeah. i think based on that i mean I, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that they won't if we do everything we set out to do yeah the 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 problem with that is that the owner of this team has also moved forward quite a bit in Inglewood with a new stadium proposal out there and construction and everything. Do you think, in your mind, you're a brilliant guy. You wouldn't have been president of Anheuser-Busch had you not been. You're a good salesperson. You know the politics, or you don't get to where you were. Do you think, in your heart, do you believe that if you cross all the T's and dot all the I's, that the, the voters of the ownership group in the NFL will make Stan Kroenke stay here? I do. Really? I do. That well, surprises me. They'll make, I, the, they'll, I make the team, they'll make, I want to say they'll make the team stay here. You know, owners have options. Um, they're not, um, by right forced to own a team, but it's possible if we have a viable plan and we do everything we say we do or we're going to do that the league would, he would not get the 24 votes necessary to relocate. Let's, let's say he has the votes. Have you spoken to other franchise owners, for instance, Jacksonville, which seems to be ripe to move and certainly to move here with Shad Khan, a guy from Champaign, Illinois, who wanted to buy the Rams but uh, was undercut at the last minute by Stan Kroenke, who have Mark Lamping as their team president of St. Louis and who was president of the Cardinals. Wouldn't that be a logical choice for St. Louis? You know what? If we had the choice, but what I do know is the league obviously is in control of that. And so the league has a lot of options too. Um, do I think that they'll make the Rams stay here? I think if we do what we say we're going to do, then it's going to be very difficult to justify relocating them. But, you know, the league can intervene and do any number of things, whether it's with another club, um, whether it's with the ownership of the existing club. And, and that's just something we're not going to control. What I do know is, you know, when you've got a plan and it's solid and it's got a design that's functional and improves the fan experience and it's got, you know, the economics that work, uh, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult, not impossible to, to for them to let that team leave. They can do a lot of things, the NFL can, but they can't force another team to move if Kroenke goes ahead and gets the votes, right? I mean, they can't come to another team and say, by the way, you have to go to St. Louis. That's not going to happen. Um. Well, I would say they can't force, but obviously there's there's other economic incentives that I'm sure that they could they could work out. So again, that, that's that's in their court. You know, I know we control what we control, and we've got to do the best job we can putting together the plan and, and ticking off the boxes that we've set out. And if we do that, um, I've got all the confidence in the world that we're going to have NFL football here in 2016 and beyond. Dave, sell me, if I'm a skeptic, sell me on why an NFL stadium and an NFL team is important to an economy when they play 10 times a year. But one, like I said, I mean, we will have a $15 million growing to $30 million tax hole at the state level. Um, because that's just, that's, those are just the numbers. You've also got local taxes as well at the city level. Beyond that, um, you, you definitely have the image issue. I mean, we're a city and, and look, you know, you've been here a long time just like I have. We've seen companies leave. We've seen all kinds of change. And, and I don't think we want to be that market that's had two NFL teams leave this market. Um, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think it's good for the image of our city. Um, we've gone through a lot that's impacted the image of our city in the last year. And I think for, at least to me, it's time to fight back, fight for our city and 
keep what's rightfully ours, especially if we put a good plan together. If if the economic impact on the area is a big deal, we I've seen studies. I don't know if you've seen the Leeds study, but he studied Chicago as a sports market. And he's, his conclusion was this. If every sports team in Chicago, every one of them, five major teams, were to suddenly disappear, the impact on the Chicago economy would be a fraction of 1%. You buy that? I, I don't really buy it. I don't. Now, Chicago is also a different market than St. Louis because you've got a lot of other options um, relative to the market, in, in, in especially downtown in their city versus St. Louis City. I mean, we obviously... If you took the Cardinals, Rams, and Blues out of St. Louis, it would be hard for me to imagine that downtown would thrive. Do you think a stadium is going to help downtown? I do. How come it didn't help it with the Cardinals stadium? I don't think it's hurt downtown. I don't think the Cardinals stadium and what they've done with Ballpark Village and three and a half million people going in and out of those gates each year is, is problematic for our city. I don't think the fact that we've had an all-star game here and being able to be kind of on that showcase has been a problem for our city. No, but they had three and a half million people coming to the old stadium. They did, but at the same time, I still, I just, I don't think, I, I just don't think it's, I think it is beneficial. I do think it's good for the region. Um, you know, I, I guess my question is what else, what other plan is there to help improve the region, especially in the area we're looking? You know, we flew over that area when we came back from New York and, it was evening and there's lights, kind of, you know, the city lights all around. And that, that site we're looking at is just dark. I mean, it's a hole right now. It's 90 acres that's underutilized. So that's but, the other thing. You've got a riverfront property that's just underutilized. You've seen in the market of Pittsburgh when they went through an, a, a, a plan that, that opened up new venues. The, the Carnegie Mellon invested downtown. They kind of did this entire riverfront development. And it's, it's really improved their city. Wouldn't it be – there's probably a reason for it to be dark, obviously, or somebody would have invested in it by now. Wouldn't it, would not it be a better idea to build it in the county somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. I think this is optimal, especially with ingress-egress. I mean, if you look at the, the highway system, you've got, you know, four major highways feeding into that area. You've got two Metrolink stops and then a quarter mile. You've got the Stan Usual Bridge now plus the other bridges south of that that, that open you up to, you know, folks from the east side coming in. So – as far as getting in and around the stadium, the city, and this is obviously the reason why Scott Trade and I didn't push her down there, is you do just have a better highway network the way the, the, they feed into downtown to get well, people in and out. Dave, what do you say to the argument that the money that's going to go, the public funding that's going to go toward the stadium, will be taking, basically borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, you're taking it from one area of public progress to give it to a stadium to enrich an already rich billionaire when the Cardinals paid for 92% of their stadium to be built. They paid it themselves. Well, there was one couple things. One, the Cardinals did get some public support um, in their stadium. But only 8%. Um, it was about ticket taxes abated and things like that. So there's there's probably more detail to it than, than is probably at the surface, number one. Number two, they they, they did acquire the team at a, at a pretty favorable price because of my old company that sold it. Um that from an economic standpoint, puts you in a position to make that kind of investment. You know, as I said before, if you look at the state level, you're investing $12 million flat a year to get $15 million growing to over 30 over the course of 25 or 30 years. So, you know, there is a positive return to that investment because the, the, the alternative being, well, I'll save the $12 million, but that 15 growing to 30 goes away. Let me revisit uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars for a minute. 
The NFL can do, as you said, they, they can explore a number of options. Uh, I, I'm assuming for a moment that Kroenke's not staying here, and I believe that. I don't believe there's any chance he's staying here. I don't think he would have gone ahead with that project if he didn't think he had the support of his other owners or whatever support he needs legally and through the NFL. But that's my own opinion. But let's just say that he is going. Is there anything to preclude your group or you specifically from initiating discussions with Shot Khan down in Jacksonville to come here? Um, no. I mean, we've been working closely with the league office, but, um, you know, I don't think there's any prohibition from us talking to other ownership. Why would you not then? Well, I'm not saying we won't. Have you so far? Um, I'm not going to go into the details of who we've talked to <laughs> and, and what we've shared as it relates to <laughs> but, uh, but I'm thinking not Jacksonville yet, or you would have, when you said we might, you would have said we did. But it seems to me to make a lot of sense because you're the guy, you're the guy here who's putting this all together. Wouldn't you want all of your options open? The NFL has their options. Kroenke has his options. Why limit yourself to just the Rams as the option? I don't think we're limiting ourselves with any options. So you're open to that? I'm open to whatever keeps NFL football in St. Louis. Dave Peacock. The easiest, the easiest scenario would be keeping the Rams here for the fans and everybody who's bought the apparel and the flags on their cars and everything else. And, you know, that's why we've been pursuing the path we're on. But obviously there could be different alternatives and different outcomes. Dave Peacock is our guest. Uh, Dave, an NFL team, and the only one we have public records on is Green Bay, and, and they make anywhere from 25 to $50 million a year. An NFL team is a very wealthy enterprise for these owners, and I guess it, it always troubles me why t public money should go to helping those guys make more money, other than, well, it's just the way it is and there's no other way to get a team. Yeah, I think it's a market question. I mean, in market meaning kind of the market for NFL franchises. So, you know, if you look at Los Angeles, or well, I'll use San Francisco because it's hard dollars. I mean, 550 million raised in seat licenses. So in essence, that's the public money, right? But they've got a different economic reality than we do here in St. Louis, number one. Number two, if you look at markets more our size, you've actually seen a, a, a much higher percentage of what I'll call truly you know, government-supported or public money in those projects. So we're proposing about 40%, you know, 38 to 40%. The average has been 56% for every stadium built since 97. But if you go to markets like Indianapolis, where it's over 70%, um, as an example, um, it, it, that's what the market is. Um, so regardless of sort of personal opinion, we've got to at least try to put together a plan that works for St. Louis, and does it in a way that, you know, I'll kind of use the term protects taxpayers, but does it in as frugal a way as possible as it relates to public support. Has the NFL, Dave, given you any indication that attendance at this season's home games will be any kind of a barometer as to how they view St. Louis as a football market? No. I mean, I think on the margin it's always good if there's enough fan support that people can kind of see through the emotion. And, you know, like I, like I said, I get it. I mean, I know there's a lot of people frustrated with the circumstances, whether it's, um, you know, ownership perception or even team performance over the last, you know, looking back, you know, seven or eight years. But, um, but no, no one has said that, you know, either they draw X or else. Um, because I think everybody understands the situation. Regardless of ownership perception, it's always a difficult situation when you've got a team that's uh, potentially going to move or potentially going to leave, and you've seen it in other markets. 
Yeah, and a team that's been lousy on the field for 10 years. That that doesn't help either. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I, mean, I think the performance has improved. They're, they're, you know, they're standing games that are against key opponents. They're, you know, they're, they're a better club. They're improving roster. But clearly, you know, if you go back even three or four years ago, you know, things were pretty dismal. Um, and been people are still coming off of that. So, uh, it doesn't help, but that said, I mean, that's part of the thing we've said is we've got a pretty good core fan base that's, that's held in there under some tough years from a performance standpoint. And, um, frankly, you know, I'd say, you know, is excited and has been excited in the past when they've, you know, whether that's around the draft or bringing in a new key player. I mean, I thought it was amazing to see how much excitement there was around Nick Foles getting, uh, that Nick Foles trade and, and sort of the chatter that went on for a week about that because, um, I just think it kind of was news and an injection of energy into the, into the program. But no, no one is no one is from the league has said that the attendance this year is is going to drive any decision. Dave, let's revisit those PSLs again. You said people in the focus groups were surprised at how inexpensive they were. What are the charges for PSLs? No, it was some. So what they do is they give out different ranges um, of, of different potential pricing, and, and some comments, not all, not but some were. Um, surprised and, and which surprised me because I figured everybody would, you know, I don't think I've ever said that anything was too cheap. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you'll never hear that otherwise. No, but I think what you do, I mean, what, what I've been at least encouraged by is you do have a lot of both the core fan base, but also kind of a core St. Louis fan base, people who don't want to see the city go backwards, don't want to see the city lose an asset and have, have come in with sort of the attitude, what can we do to help? Um, and that was probably a little bit more of the spirit we were seeing in some of those groups and some of those discussions. So we need to see the detailed data. Um, when I look at Minnesota, it was about that $150 million level, and I think the seat licenses, I think they're just a tad below. But it gives me confidence. We've obviously talked to some advisors who have worked in and around new stadium projects who felt comfortable as well with that number. So What, what were those um, we price ranges see. that, that you – Gave these folks. I don't remember. Uh, as far as I don't remember. You don't remember any of them? Ago. I don't. No. I mean, 10,000, 50,000? I don't remember. I absolutely don't. Now, you mentioned Minnesota and San Francisco. Of course, those are two cities that are building stadiums for the first time with PSLs. This is a second bite of the apple here. And again, as I said, I hear, and I'm not saying that it's scientific in any way, shape, or form, but I hear people who are season ticket holders say they'll never pay another PSL because they, they felt like they were lied to by the Rams 20 years ago. That they'd, only have to, that they'd only have to pay once. Yeah, that's, that's, that's their prerogative. I mean, that's, again, we, we can't control what people's perceptions are. We know what we need to do to get the project done. We've done homework to suggest that the numbers are sound. You know, I'm sure there's people out there who don't want to pay it. Uh, that's understood. And we feel like, you know, we know because we've, we've seen some of them and talked to them that there are some that will. If, is, that um, a, is that a deal killer if you don't get the $150 million in the PSLs? Um, it just, I think it depends on nuance. I think it's about how far you fall or how far you miss on that number. It's going to be a big, it be problematic. It's an important part of our financing, just like it's been in other markets. How much did the county's rejection of $6 million a year influx into this plan hurt you? Um. Well, I mean, I don't think it hurt much, and I and, and I don't know there was a rejection. I mean, you, you kind of read the reports that uh, I think once the the politicians and the people in the political space kind of went through the numbers, and they said that you know the, the county we may not need the county's investment um, for the for this stadium. So I don't know that they you know, were out rejecting it, but 
Um, they obviously will continue the obligations against the dome, and there's, you know, maintenance to be done on that facility as well, and they'll continue contributing into that uh, maintenance capital as part of their $6 million investment. So Yeah, so that upkeep um, on the dome is going to remain an obligation to the, to the state and county and city, even if you do build a new stadium, correct? Correct, and that's, you know, where, you know, it, it, you don't know where that's going to go. And that's going to be a problem. That was going to be an issue no matter what. I mean, these, um, you know, city and, and state and, and county bonds ultimately expire, right? And uh, and so do the capital improvement funds. So this was something that was going to, you know, I think the, the, the community was going to be facing eventually anyway. And this just may move up the timing as it relates to trying to resolve that issue. And what about that loan from the NFL, Dave? Who Who is responsible to pay that back? So basically how it works is it's um, visitor's gate receipts. So about a third of every ticket sold goes into a pool, which is a visitor's gate receipts. And then that pool of money is where the loan is generated. That, that pool of money is what pays back the loan. Um, and, but that pool of money also is what supports these loans. And then, like I say, they've been implemented in, in other markets as well. Where do those visitors' receipts normally go if you didn't have that loan to pay back? Would that go to the team? No. No. They go into a pool. And like I said, there's, there's sort of, I mean, that's been the case for a while now where there about a third of that ticket price goes, and it's certain tickets, you know, I don't think, it, I can't remember if it doesn't include the uh, the club seats or something like that, but it, it, it may be the general admission, but um, across the entire league, and that goes into that fund that basically helps support some of these stadium projects. So that's that's in that's in vogue right now with the dome. If it stays as it is, that the, the the visitors' revenue, the ticket revenue goes into that fund right now. It doesn't go to the Rams. Correct. That's interesting. Now there's a thirty million dollar improvement that St. Louis paid for under this dome just a couple of years ago. Does that seem kind of like wasted thirty million dollars? I don't think so. I mean, it's one, you're going to have a team no matter what play there for at least four more seasons. Um, do you really, no, the, wait, let me stop you there, Dave. I'm sorry. Do you think they'll stay here four more seasons if they get the votes to go to LA? No, I'm saying if we get our plan passed as far as construction timing, the team would be playing four more seasons in that facility, including this coming one. And then on top of that, that sound system, which I know was a big part of it, needed to be improved. I mean, and whether it was for concerts or, or other activities, you know, that, that dome gets utilized, you know, far more than I ever expected outside of the Rams season, whether it's boat shows, car shows, you know, they actually, you know, there's some volleyball tournaments that are held there. They just had first robotics. I mean, they, they actually do a, a lot to, to utilize that facility. You get a lot of political volleyballs in the air here, I would imagine, but um, it, it, was it easier running Anheuser-Busch than this? <laughs> um. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, probably at times it was because you know when you're running a company, you can you know control all the variables ever, but you, you have a lot more influence over all the variables yeah. than something like this. It's you, know, you, you you've defined it very well. There's a lot of balls in the air. Well, what is your typical day like since the governor has appointed you to head this task force? Of course, by appointed, I say he asked you. You certainly had to accept. Um, well, what is your day like? Are, are you meeting with people, talking to people on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, and it just varies. I mean, last week was a real busy week. Um, this week probably won't be quite as busy. Um, there's sort of an ebb and flow. No two days are alike. But it's, uh, um, you know, we've got a great team working on it. I mean, whether it's HOK, who's based here in St. Louis from a design standpoint, they really kind of jumped in early um, and leaned into the project, whether it's the, the builders that we've just now 
put under contract um, or in the process of putting under contract, Hunt and Clayco and KI and Legacy. And we've also got another firm called Guami here in town that's going to be helping with project management. Yeah, um, the, the pictures are nice, and you, you said that's part of your presentation to the owners. I'm surprised the owners were impressed from pictures and a video more so than they had questions about financing, quite frankly. Yeah, and we're not going into a lot of the details of what was discussed in the meeting. And, and you know, part of this is we went into detail as far as the project in general was talking about, you know, how the, you know we are adding 29 acres of park space down on that front riverfront as well as 25 acres of parking and a mile and a half of trails. And those are the kind of things that we were able to share. And then we went into some of the detail related to the stadium that there will be 170 or so checkpoints to get in. So the ingress and egress, <laughs> you know, the, the, it's I mean, it sounds – it sounds a little uh, minor, but things like the size of the seats, both in the in the club and the general admission, are are lar- as large or larger than any seats in the league right now, and plenty of leg room. And I mean, it's literally mapping down how many seats in each row. And I mean, it's I'm I you know not having a lot of experience, basically no experience designing a stadium, had no idea the detail that goes into the planning and the thought process that goes into it that some of the experts and, and the builders and the designers and, and what they bring to the party. Well, if they want to sell a lot of hot dogs, they got to have wider seats because we're all going to be a little heavier when we go down. Seats <laughs> <laughs> have grown in width over the last 10 years. It's kind of amazing. But also, it's how many, you know, how many seats, how many people you have to climb over to get out of the row, you know? I mean, That's all those too. things end up having an impact on, on, the, uh, on the stadium. Dave, you've mentioned a bunch of people on your team that's involved in this, including you. Uh, is anybody getting paid, or is everybody doing this gratis, just volunteering their time? No, there are some folks getting paid. Um, you know, HOK, I say, leaned in, you know, in, in, in very early on without getting paid. We're at a point now, because of the how far we've advanced, where they're, they're getting some payment. Um, there'll be a little bit of payment going to uh, on the construction management side. You know, most of the work on the construction management side up to now, which has been a lot of cost estimating, has been gratis because we've been in a bid process. So we want to leverage that bid process and get as much work out as we could um, for no cost. Um, so you know, we, I've been impressed with how some folks have leaned into the project and, and helped out. Yeah, who, who's paying those folks? Is That's not come from the state, is it? It comes from the RSA. So the RSA had, um, what do you call it, they had some funds that were um, unallocated or mostly in the by, byproduct of refinancing uh, their debt over time where they would end up getting – you know, favorable returns because they'd refinanced their debt over the last several years. What made a successful guy like you get involved in this craziness and not get paid? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you know, I think, look, I'm, I'm probably like you too, right? I mean, you know, I, I think you're from here. I'm from here. And, you know, I, I, there's a little bit of, I feel like the guy in that movie, uh, you're not going to take it anymore. I mean, you just, you know, you see things happen in, in, in our city and, you get there's sort of a negative tenor sometimes, and we just need to push back on that. And this is one I felt like we had some control over if if we did a few certain things. And but look, you know, from from a from a very very high level, we're not we're not we don't increase taxes on anybody. We want to maintain a tax base uh, that's good. We want to make and there will be an economic study executed ultimately because we do need to understand. And people always poke holes and debate those, but I think it's important to have it um, to make sure we understand what the economic impact is of, of the. Uh, the facility, but I'm also, I was on the board of City Arch River and, you know, some amazing work has been done and largely privately funded downtown in the Arch Grounds and, and it's just sort of a waste to let half a mile north of that just kind of sit there. So there's an opportunity to kind of wrap that entire riverfront and kind of really change 
what St. Louis looks like, what it represents downtown. And I know that a new stadium in that location will make that area certainly look a lot better, but will it will it act as a blight to surrounding the stadium areas in terms of living quarters, condos and the like, or is the plan to bring new business to St. Louis, and, and will that do it? Well, I mean, I don't, I guess when you look at that area, I mean, it's pretty much blighted now in the sense that 89% of those on the site we're looking at are vacant. Um, you know, you, you theoretically, I mean, the two things that really help a city is density um, being one and obviously business coming in. And, you know, I think also the absence of business leaving. So we just don't want to see, um, you know, especially after everything we've gone through over the last couple of years, another reason for people to say that they're moving their business. So, you know, I just believe we need to be forward-leaning and, and start, you know, investing in some of those things um, that, that make a city a great city. And, Dave Peacock, if I said to you right now here today, when will you know if you're going to have everything done to, to tell the NFL, here it is, we've got our financial ducks in a row, because I still think that will be the most important thing to them, uh, obviously, the pictures are fine, but you know, a third grade art class can draw pictures. That's that's one thing, but financing is real. When do you think you'll be able to tell them? Here it is. You know, we're hoping by um, kind of mid fall, and I think that'll be you know ideally ahead of their decision period. And you know, I hope to God this thing's resolved by Christmas because we kind of went through last holidays, you know, wringing our hands because we knew coming out the other end we'd be announcing this project for the first time. So, um, you know, we'll see. I know that there have been reports that. They would decide by Super Bowl 2016, then there's talk of moving things up. I will say that all the the dialogue as it relates to moving things up or moving timelines up, um, in our discussions with the league, nothing has gone counter to the timeline that we agreed to with them back in January and February. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's kind of more for other markets or what have you, but um, I would think by the end of this year we should know definitively whether we're going to have football here in St. Louis. So you'll have your stuff hopefully together by mid-fall, and you think they'll take a vote by the end of the year, by Christmas? I would, I would, that's what I'm guessing. It could bleed over into the into January, but you know they've been very public about wanting to get this resolved before Super Bowl 2016. Well, Dave, best of luck, and can't tell you how much we appreciate your time coming on here and, and talking about this stuff because I think a lot of questions that I had, a lot of questions our listeners have, uh, we've addressed here today, and uh, we thank you for your time and, and your expertise. Well, I've got, I'm going to say you quote my favorite movie almost every day, which is uh, Dead Poets Society. So I love it. You know, this, you... this project is really to me about carpe diem. Like, we got an opportunity. Now's the time. Let's seize it. And you know, God bless us if we could actually get a playoff game here. That would be better. That would be even better, <laughs> wouldn't it? And, and right. now, do you know that there's a horse in the Derby this Saturday named Carpe Diem? Well, I, I listened. I was listening driving my son home from school, and I heard the guy say, I, I think all the money she could eat. My son wants to bet on a horse. So I'm basically <laughs> going to tell him he has to bet on that horse. That's right. That's what I'm going to do, throw a couple bucks down on Carpe Diem. Who knows? I was well, trying he's to. 15. He's 15, so he just, I just let him see Dead Poets Society, so now he's a believer. So, what, a, what a movie. You know, now, now he's got to bet on it. I love it. He's, he, I'm glad he loves the movie. I took my son to see it when it first came out, and uh, that. that to me, that movie is a great lesson for all high school kids. I think they should be forced to see it. I agree. Hey, Dave, thanks for your time. All right, thank you. You bet. Bye-bye now. That's Dave Peacock. He is the uh, head of the task force that is trying to bring the stadium to St. Louis and thereby either keep the Rams or get another team 
so that NFL football doesn't leave St. Louis. Interesting stuff. Um, and uh, obviously Dave listens to our show, and we thank him for that. We'll take a break. This is the Pastoral Ribbon Gateway Buick GMC Kings Court, and we'll return on 1380 AM and com right after this. And, of course, we're right here in KevinSlaytonShow.com in the Monster Energy Drink, STL-Cars.com, Kings Court. That was an interview we did with Dave Peacock a few years back. It's always fun to go back and listen to those. Uh, i tell you what, that the whole group uh, down in downtown St. Louis could have used some Monster Energy Drink to pull that one off because that was going to be a relentless pursuit of victory. You would have had to have brought your best, be at the top of your game, in order to pull that off, and that's where Monster Energy Drink would have come in for those guys. But there was no chance. It's fun to look back on an interview like that and and see where it ended up. The hopes, the potential, the the possibilities. As I said to Dave at the time, did you think the, the league would force Kroenke to stay here? He said, yes. I didn't believe him then. I don't believe him now. And I said so at that time. I said, I don't think, that'll, I don't think they'll make him stay. There was no way they were going to make him stay. Crocky had that deal done. And keep in mind, if you're the NFL and you try to prohibit Crocky from moving, once the city of St. Louis had materially been in breach of the lease, Crocky would have sued the league and he would have won. So when you have all of the legal entities going your way, all of the legal ramifications that are present and they're all in your favor, as they were for Crocky, there was no stopping that steamboat. I'll tell you what, it was rolling. And that's on St. Louis. When Dave Peacock said, you know, we don't want to be uh, the city that lost two NFL teams, there's no question about that. It's embarrassing. We're not like the city of Oakland, which lost the Oakland Raiders two or three times with the same team, but we've lost two teams. And we're never getting another one. I got news for everybody. It's just not going to happen. The NFL doesn't trust St. Louis, and there's good reason why they shouldn't trust St. Louis. If Francis Slay and that gang of idiots that were present at the time that the Rams left had played ball with the NFL rather than issue public statements saying that we don't need the NFL, they could have gotten a team, an expansion team, the next time the league expands. That's what Cleveland did, if you recall. When the Browns picked up and moved to Baltimore, Cleveland, the city, played ball with the NFL, sued to keep the nickname, the Browns, and so the Baltimore team became the Ravens. Those aren't the Browns. And then when expansion hit, they gave Cleveland a new team. Thus, the Cleveland Browns again. But we don't look forward like that. The, the people that St. Louis elects aren't forward-looking people. They're little whining crybabies. And so that's what we got. We got our ass handed to us as a city yet again, and mostly because of the city fathers who didn't have a freaking clue as to what they were doing. And, of course, they're egotistical, egomaniacal morons who think they're going to badmouth the NFL and then get a team? Please. Our phone lines are open if you care to weigh in on that interview, 636-348-4460. Man, I get my numbers confused. We keep changing numbers. 348-4460. How's that? So it's an interesting take on what they were trying to do in St. Louis, but that stadium, which was going to be built on the riverfront, was going to be in a horrible neighborhood. The the unfortunate part 
uh, for St. Louis in these stadiums is they need to quit building them in the city. Until the city decides that it wants to become a safe place and it wants to elect people to run the city that are reasonable people, that know how to get things done, that aren't just political hacks, I don't think we should do anything in the city again. Let the city die and then rebuild it. But I blame the people that live in the city. They're the ones who keep electing the same people for five decades and getting the same crap. It's your fault. How can you be that stupid? And then you expect different results. You expect people with all the money, like Anheuser-Busch at the time, to come in. You expect people like Peacock to work for free to try to save your city. I don't know if he's working for free. Probably not. He never said he wasn't, and he never said he was. (laughs) I'm guessing he was not. But like I said, a third grader could make some drawings. They had no idea where the financing was coming from. I don't know what focus group they did to to figure out that they were going to get a $150 million shakedown from season ticket holders again for PSLs, but they were never going to get that. I mean, my, my sampling was not a focus group. It was not scientific. It was just common sense. The Rams said at the time that the PSLs were brought to St. Louis that you would never have to pay again. But that wasn't going to be true if you were going to build a new stadium. People get tired of getting slapped around. This city blew it with NFL football when they lied to Bill Bidwell. Now, Bill Bidwell was not a guy that you warmed up to or cozied up to. He was a jerk. And he was cheap. But it was his team. And all he wanted was a stadium that didn't cater to baseball first. And he was promised that by Vince Shamel and that pack of clowns. It's one clown regime after another down there. And so when they lied to him and weren't going to give him the stadium, Bidwell either stayed here and ate it, and he didn't want to do that, or find a city that's going to make him a billionaire. And that's what he did. He found Phoenix. Crocky found L.A. But in both instances, St. Louis broke their word. Well, what do you expect a team owner to do? What do you expect a businessman to do? I expected them to do just what they did. I didn't like that the Big Red left. I didn't like that the Rams left. But I certainly understood it from a business standpoint of both owners. And I also understood the ramifications when you lie and you call a billionaire's bluff that you're making the wrong move. I don't have to be the president of Anheuser-Busch to figure that out. Common sense will tell you that. Again, a third grader would know that. Nobody likes to be lied to, especially multimillionaire or billionaire owners of NFL teams. And when you lie to them and it's public, they're not going to eat that lie. They're going to make you pay. And that's what both of them did. And so the football Cardinals are prospering out in the desert, and the Rams are prospering out in Los Angeles. And here we sit with no team, and certainly no hope to get one, thanks to the wonderful reaction of Francis Slay and that pack of lunatics. It just never ends with St. Louis. It just never ends. All right, folks, that's going to wrap us up today in the Monster Energy Drink, stl-cards.com, Kings Court, right here on kevinslaytonshow.com. Don't forget the podcast coming up here, also on Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, and any place you listen to podcasts. 
We're back tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock with our current events show. And then again, our sports show at noon tomorrow right here on KevinSlaytonShow.com where we'll have John Ziegler talking about how he thinks Jerry Sandusky was innocent. That could be interesting. That's all coming your way tomorrow, but we'll be back tomorrow morning. Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. So long. Love you, Maureen. So long, everybody. Ah!